Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo! <laughs> monster okay i've been in the rain all no, day no you have that vibrant hair i'm telling you, you every time i do my little henna you know what i feel like i feel mm. like jennifer's body when she eats the guy and she's all beautiful again i'm a god i've been thinking that every time i do it i rinse my hair and i go i'm new <laughs> <laughs> amazing <laughs> yeah meanwhile i i rinse out my like green hair dye and i look in the mirror and i have like my wet stringy hair and i start my face is like i climbed from the swamp <laughs> i mean when i do rinse it i do feel like a swamp monster because it's just mud and it's yeah. just pouring yeah. down my body to, oh like, my god <laughs> yeah but then once it's red it's beautiful <laughs> yeah so i've done henna once and it was henna with indigo in it yeah. so it was like a dark mm-hmm. yeah and my roommates helped me like put it in and then i was like now, how do I get it out? It's not <laughs> I was in a man. dorm. It's just like, <laughs> bleh. Yeah. Speaking of gnarly. <laughs> that one's not bad. That's not my worst work. No, not at all. And now that people get to hear about her hair in the beginning, uh, we're talking mm-hmm. about Death Becomes Her. We sure are. I'm pumped. This is a patron pick. Yeah. Yes. This was like a patron pick to the point where like nothing else mattered. They picked this and it was like, oh, so, yeah. okay, great. What, we had yeah. that before, too, where every single patron picked one movie, and we were like, all right, relax. Yeah, I was like, calm down. Just don't, don't be aggressive. <laughs> we put it in the chat, and they were raucous. They were like, this one! They were like, obviously, death becomes her. And it was like, we put like little like vote via moat. Like, yeah. People like click a thing, and then it was just like, everyone voted for this. Everyone. And so it's like, okay. So we're doing <laughs> I guess the people have spoken. This one. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, it was fair. I was actually looking forward to it. And I was like, kind of hope they picked that. And then when they all did, I went, okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a wild movie. I'm so excited yeah, to talk is. about it. Um, Amazing. So yeah, I have some facts. Some, just some cute little facts. Uh, you ready? Yes. Yes. Okay. So Death Becomes Her. It was made in 1992 when I was mm-hmm. born. Um, <laughs> it I was, was uh, pre-birth. <laughs> I was one year out. You shut up, Guy. <laughs> uh, it was directed by Robert Zemeckis or Zemeckis. I'm not sure, but that no, guy. No, he's so fucking famous. Whatever. Yeah. Okay, so here are the things he's done: uh, Romancing mm-hmm. the Stone, the Back to the Future mm-hmm. trilogy, and Forrest Gump, and probably more. Honestly, but I wrote down those ones because I was like, hell no. Yeah. Uh, he won. Best director and it won Best Picture for Forrest Gump. So yeah. I was like, "Dang, all right." Uh, I've never seen Forrest Gump. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, it's good, but people act like it's like you haven't seen it, and I'm like, "If you, yeah. some people might not like it." Honestly, not yeah. everyone's cup of tea. Um, I will say these people they stick together. We've had that in the past. You're gonna notice yes. we got ourselves a little gang here. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so it was written by two people. The first one was uh-huh. Martin Donovan. Uh, the only uh-huh. other film I found was Apartment Zero, which was like a cult classic, but I, hmm. I didn't know of it, but apparently it's I'm popular. It um, Is that, it horror? I'm not sure. I, I didn't do research on it. I wanted to, but I was like, I'll just tell Kate it's cult classic and we'll look it up. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds very. It may okay. maybe it was like cult classic in like a different country or something like that. I'm not positive, but um, I was like, we'll do research on that. Yeah. Um, and then the other writer is someone that we actually might know a little bit more. That was David Coep. Uh, also wrote Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones mm. and the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Mission Impossible, Spider Man 2002, War of the Worlds. Hmm. Honestly, there were more, but I wrote down the ones that I was like, okay, these ones we will but- know. Um, would the 2002 Spider-Man have been Tobey Maguire? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm very proud of myself for knowing that. I'm proud I hope, of you. I hope it's recognized. Yeah, because uh, the other one came out, the other one with my sweet boy, Andrew Garfield, came out later. So 2002 yeah. had to be my my other sweet boy, Toby, the original mm-hmm, Spider-Man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kiss for, yeah. for Toby. I love him. Kiss for Toby. <laughs> um, and then here we go to the people who are sticking together. Okay, you'll, you'll, you'll notice a trend. Cinematography was Dean Cundy, um, mm-hmm. also has done so much. So if I don't say one, I'm really sorry, everybody. Go look him up and do your own research. The, yeah, They're a lot come of things. You. Come at me. I got a haircut. I'm mm-hmm. different now. I'm, sp- I'm, I'm new. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he did Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Halloween. Uh, oh. He was known for being one of the first people to use Steadicam and the Panaglide which was like when you wear the camera and you can get a lot closer and you can oh. move with your subjects a little bit more. Um, he's specifically known for doing that shot where um, Michael Myers comes into frame kind of slowly from the dark and there's a blue light and yes. that's what brought him into frame. Um, so he's known for that, which people go nuts for, obviously. Okay. Um, there were more movies. Yeah. He also did The Fog, Escape from New York, Back to the Future trilogy and Jurassic Park. Yeah. Um, and the last one, I want you to just guess. Give me an off the wall guess for a movie that he did. Yeah, Legally Blonde. So close. Garfield. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I saw my waveform. <laughs> I know. I just saw it. I was like, ooh. ooh. Yes, we did Garfield the movie, and I was like, hell yeah, you did. Uh huh. Love that. Amazing. Um. <laughs> Legally Blonde and Garfield are you know, Garfield. pretty much the same. Legally Blonde, Legally Blonde is kind of like a prequel to Garfield, yeah. if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, no, because there's that one... People don't know it, but Garfield actually mm-hmm. was studying to be a lawyer, but then he dropped out yeah. to be a cat. So people don't know yeah. that. People um, don't know that. And your shirt is really trying to, like, you know, bring awareness to the masses. I know! <laughs> Whatever. All right, all right, all right. The music. The music was Alan Silvestri. Here we go again. These are these are pals. Okay. He did Back to the okay. Future, <laughs> Who Framed Roger well. Rabbit, Forrest Gump, Castaway, The Polar Express, The Parent Trap, Stuart Little. Oh! It gets better. Stuart Little, Mummy Returns, and Lilo and Stitch, and so many more. You guys, there were a lot more. Oh I wasn't going to write them all. <laughs> but the one that got me was Stuart Little, just because I was like, what yeah. a wild change to be like, I also did Death Becomes Her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just, some different vibes there. It just made me sure, laugh. Sure. It just made me laugh. Okay. Top to your fashion in both, though. Yeah, so. no. Stuart Little in his, like, red sweater Don't or whatever. Don't even get me started on the costumes in this movie. I'm fucking pumped. Um, okay. Oh, my God. I was over the moon. I know. Okay, so the budget <clears throat> was mm. $55 million. Okay. Do you know how much it made? So I accidentally saw two numbers that were radically different from each other. Okay. <laughs> um, and it, I have no idea which is correct. Get, and out. I have obviously no concept of money. If you get this right, uh, I love it. Um, 
uh, Meryl Goldie Hawn was super well known. Mm-hmm. I my dad made a comment saying like this was before Meryl Streep was like Meryl fucking Streep. Yeah. Um. Seventy million. Not that far off. Is one forty nine million. Holy shit, tits. Okay, okay, okay. They made it back. <laughs> they certainly made it back. Um, I think it just had such a good crew and like, I don't know. I, I mean, not necessarily like super well-known movies had come before this. Potentially Back to the Future. I think that was in the 80s. So they had that. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just people were like, hell yeah. And Goldie Hawn. I mean, Bruce Willis as well. I don't know if he was super well-known yet, but he was certainly yeah. I, maybe... Yeah, because, I, I mean, well, Die Hard. When did Die Hard come out? So. I have never seen Die Hard. I've never seen Die Hard. Don't don't come at us, everybody. Relax. Don't. Um, Remember when, I mean, I don't like Christmas movies, so that's why I haven't seen Die Hard. Um, <laughs> you were going to start like a brawl. <laughs> I'm a younger sister. I crave it. I know I you just, do. Like, I do know that about you. Like, poke. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, so. We talked about this in Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Those are that's my fucking kryptonite. Sixth, Sixth Sense. Sense. I'm glad we're not covering it again because I, I can't know. say it. But um, Bruce Willis, I was reading through things and like, oh, he's super known for like his like macho man like action movies. And I was like, I know him as Spike. So <laughs> I know. Stop. You do though. That cracked me up. You know, it's like, oh, from regret. And I was like, oh, yeah. you scream. Because I'm like, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's You're not I, wrong. I don't. <laughs> that's all I know him from. That's oh, the best thing ever. Okay. <laughs> do you want some fun facts here? Of course. I'll I give do. you the ones I've written down first and then the ones I'm going to read because okay. it was a quote and I didn't want to write them. Mm, okay. Yeah. So this was the first film where computer generated skin texture was used. Um, it's that moment where spoilers, I guess, but you're listening to this, you, you know, uh, it's the yeah. spoil. It's when she falls and she has to reset her neck, not from the fall, but oh, from the shovel yeah. hit. Um, oh. so yeah, when she does that, um, and when she has her neck like facing the wrong way, um, that was done with blue screen, but also with like a dummy sort of like, <laughs> They just yeah, so like a combination of using like a blue screen and like a little bit of a like a, some a dummy, they were able to do that. Um, made me laugh. The the Wild. technological advancements also. So the the company that did it was Industrial Light and Magic. That was the name of the company that mm. did the special effects and stuff like that. Um, the technological advancements that came from this movie went on to help create Jurassic Park. <laughs> Oh, clever girl. Isn't that, I know, isn't that neat? I was like, that's my shit. They're such different movies. And I was like, huh. But the cinematographer was known for working with Steven Spielberg. So it wasn't that wild. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, And then I have just a few more fun ones. Hold on. Here we go. I'm getting there. Um, I support you. (laughs) Okay, so these are things that I'm reading directly. Uh, the production had a fair number of mishaps. Uh, in the scene where Helen and Madeline are battling with the shovels, Streep accidentally cut Goldie Hawn's face. Oh, my God. She just left, like, a faint scar. Um, uh-huh. And clearly she's okay. But this is yeah. the fact that made me laugh really hard because Meryl Streep hated working on, like, this movie, apparently. 
Oh no. I won't say necessarily the movie itself. It had nothing to do yeah. with like the content. It was to do with the special effects and how heavily it relied on it. She hated it. So I have a quote from her. Oh, okay. So it said, Streep admitted that she disliked working on a project that focused so heavily on special effects. She vowed never to work on another film with heavy special effects. And this was a direct quote. My first, my last, my only. I think it's (gasps) tedious. Whatever concentration you can apply to that kind of comedy is just shredded. You stand there like a piece of machinery. They should get machinery to do it. I loved how it turned (gasps) out. But it's not fun to act to a lampstand. Pretend this is Goldie right here. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Bob. She went off the mark by five centimeters and now her head won't match her neck. It's like being at the dentist. Oh my God. <laughs> like being at the dentist. I can't think of a more vicious insult than it's like being at the dentist. But, like, but maybe that's because I have like a fear of dentists. I know, I hate it. But like I get it because like there's so many fucking films where it's like hey can you go ahead and pretend this is your co-star and it's a tennis ball on a stick and it it's like that's got the live action scooby-doo movies i know like that's gotta be so fucking hard to just to give all this emotion to like a scene and it's it's a stick Uh uh-huh or it's fucking tyler lautner in a full green screen suit and you have to pet it like a dog there's there's no way around it it's weird like no yeah, I really want a tennis ball on a stick with like a teeny smiley face at the top. <laughs> so like, like just, so I totally understand why like that would be ridiculously hard. I don't know. Um, it's such a fun movie. I think they did a great job. Yeah. Um, you can like tell that it's clearly from the nineties. You know? Oh yeah. It's not like it's like whoa, that's incredible. But it is good. I mean, for the nineties, yeah. like it's good. Um, yeah, I can see. Jurassic Park special effects are, like, out of this world. Like, I watch that movie, and I'm genuinely yeah. like, how did they do that? It looks like a real dinosaur, you know? I watch yeah. this, and I go, yeah, no, that's that's not her head. I, I know that. That's a green screen. Yeah. yeah. So I see they perfected it. Yeah. <laughs> it was practice makes yeah. perfect. I get it. She stumbled down the stairs so the velociraptors could make it to the kitchen. <laughs> exactly. See? Yeah. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I support it. <laughs> Oh god um but those are all my those are my fun facts about this movie. amazing um i found one that i didn't do you want to hear one that i have yeah. not validated with other sources of course yeah i love that um so spoilers the scene where she like takes the vitality potion yeah and she's looking in the mirror at herself becoming younger and her ass lifts and her tits pop up yeah they had like something built into her top to do it, it. <laughs> but it didn't really give the desired effect so they had someone stand from behind and like lift her tits to Nuh-uh. do that like manually do it with their hands can you imagine putting that on a resume like well one time um, i did have to lift meryl streep's tits so yeah go ahead and jot that down and my professionalism is unmatched in the field, unmatched <laughs> oh my god i hope they keep kept in contact i hope they're friends yeah you know the i hope they the tit lifter. Oh, good old tit lifter. <laughs> good old tit lifter. Oh, that's incredible. And now yeah. <laughs> to sum up the movie, I mean. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Two women who are obsessed with staying young are stuck together for life. Oh, <laughs> you know, okay. You that's, that's, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. There, I yeah. could have, I could have included the other roles that were in this. No, no, just but the two. You, you got two thirds of the movie right there. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I chose IMDb over Rotten Tomatoes today oh. because uh, Rotten Tomatoes just had a little bit too much. And I liked the short and sweet that IMDb offered. Pithy. So. <laughs> Pithy. Pithy. <laughs> when a fading actress learns of an immortality treatment, she sees it as a way to outdo her longtime rival. That's it. That's, That's it. That's really all I have. <laughs> I'm like, this could be a drama. This could be like a docuseries. I don't know. <laughs> this movie's so dramatic and I'm obsessed with it. Yep. Yep. Oh my God. Um, before we get to Nerd Corner, this is where we can input our friend's promo. So we recently guested on Ghost Wax, and it was super fun recording that. It was hilarious. Uh, They wrote the episode for us about, uh, like, an 80s VHS, like, movie store, Mm -hmm. and it was a hoot and a half. Um, We had so much fun. It was just... They captured both of us very well, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I read it, and I was yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there we are. We were, like, sitting at my birthday, and I, like, passed my phone. It's like, who do you want to be? And you're like, oh, obviously, I want to be Nancy. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> just, she spoke to me. Um, she did, yeah. Everyone listen to Ghost Wax. It's so, it's so good, and it's just such an interesting concept, yeah. and it's just fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pumped. It's the audio editing on that as well. Like, first of all, Robbie is, like, unparalleled with his, yeah. like, lore and creativity and, like, the world that he sets up. But then also Aaron's editing is gorgeous. Oh, it's incredible. And if like, you the levels of sound design. If you don't already know, uh, Robbie was on our podcast once before yes. we did the whaling. The whaling. Mm-hmm. And he's so fun. And he has so many interesting things to say. And I just... I just love him. So go check yeah, out. So insightful. So yeah. Fun. He's just a blast. So. So here's a promo for Ghost Wax if you want to know more about it. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there it be. <laughs> Can you hear me? Good to have you back with us. I hope you don't mind that I am recording for investigative notes. It's a wax cylinder. The only thing we've found that can pick up the voices of people in your condition. My name is Owen Von Sid. I am a reclaimer. Do you know what that means? No? Well, I am sorry to inform you that you didn't make it. Please try to remain calm. The worst is over. Nothing can hurt you, not ever again. But the thing that did this to you, it is still out there. That is what we do. I wake unfortunate souls, such as yourself, hear their stories, then my associates and I see to it that whoever or whatever did this to you is dealt with. Now, let's begin. When you are ready, tell me, how did you die? Ghost Wax is an anthology horror podcast from Far and Tall Tales Productions. New episodes releasing weekly. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. Perfect promo. Perfect. Yes. Beautiful. Uh, Listen to Ghost Wags. Please do. And Genuinely. then, you know, if you have emotions about it, talk to me because I have a lot of emotions Kate about it. He does a lot of I would emotions. love to talk to people. Uh, yes. Just truly, I have a lot of emotions. You I also there. specifically have a lot of emotions about Ghost Wags. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh boy, are you ready for Nerd Corner? Oh, I'm so fucking ready because I have no idea. I have no fucking clue because you were like, I'm struggling with this one. And I was like, buddy, (laughs) 
<laughs> that means that I'll never guess. <laughs> I, okay. I, like, texted my partner. I was like, I'm afraid of being too predictable. And he, like, talked me down from it. <laughs> and it's okay now. But I've only guessed, like, once. So <laughs> don't even so, worry. <laughs> I had a hard time with it. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, an element that I couldn't get past. And I kept coming back to it. Like, I often do a satire and irony. And it... I was like, I want to think about other aspects of the film, but I have to think through this first. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I'll do that then. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's I will through think it. through this amongst friends, and then I will talk about something else. So uh, I'm going to briefly talk about that, and then dig into something more uplifting and thematic for this glorious Pride Month. Oh, hell yeah! Yeah. Oh. So... um this, I did not know it until I started, like, actually looking, but this is actually part of, like, the queer cult classic canon. Really? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, was surprising it, and then not surprising. <laughs> it was funny because we chose this specifically because it was listed as, like, yes. queer horror. So we were like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, let's throw it in. And then watching yeah. it, I was like, it's subtle, but it, yeah. it's good. Like, yeah. I, I really liked it. I, I could see it, oh. you know? I will watch this movie many more times. Oh, yeah. It was a blast. I just, I will. (laughs) Uh, But before we get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, We're going to talk about, like, okay. Sorry, my brain had to, like, reset because I saw numbers and I panicked. And I was like, I wrote this. Why are there numbers? It's a year. It's a single year. I can read it. Okay, okay. But, um, so the opening, like, studio sequence where it's like, this is, like, Paramount or Mm -hmm. whatever the fuck it was, was noticeably old. Yeah. Um, it was like super grainy and like aged. Yes. And that helped me reframe this movie as something released pre 2000. So that was right. like a good thing. But then also, when I say the movie's dated, I'm not saying that it's not still relevant. I'm just saying that you can clearly tell when it was created. Oh, yeah. It, it's and, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, that's not just like the fashion or like the CGI, but also the casual misogyny. Oh, and it, yeah. Yeah. So to be clear, this is not unique to the 90s, and it's not suddenly gone today. Mm -hmm. It shows its face differently based on the decade and location. So I want to talk about the misogyny informing the film, and I also want to make it clear that I'm not assuming that the writers and directors were like, let's rip into what we think about women. Right. But the humor and plot lines are very much shaped by the societal context of the film. Right. So just as you can see, like, the anxieties within horror, you can also see values and judgments and standards, Mm -hmm. like beauty standards, professional pathways available to folks, inequalities nested within power structures, what we see as possible for someone's future, things like that. That gets more into, like, reading a negative than reading a positive, which is just too hard to do um, without a deep reading. So I'm not talking about, like, how do we, like, not see futurity in this sense? I'm not going to talk about that. (laughs) But this film was very of its time in terms of sexism, ageism, and fat phobia. Right. And I could also absolutely see a remake of this movie happening like more modern day with a few tweaks that would preserve the inequalities in humor, but with slightly less overtly offensive methods. That was a note that I put. I was like, I would love to see a remake of just this plot, but just without the, you know, casual misogyny and fat phobia and the stuff that came with the 90s. Like, (laughs) yep. You know? And it. It feels like the 90s and the aughts were like a period where everyone's like, fat suits are going to be really funny. And I'm like, but they're not. They're not at all. Like, I don't know. And it's like the inherent value that like society places on smaller bodies hasn't changed. No. 
But, like, the ways that we visually represent that, like, people realized, oh, it's not acceptable to do that. And so they do it in more insidious ways now. Yeah, it's more subtle. It's more like, yeah. "Mm, yeah. (laughs) It's still there. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a lot of specific moments I could pull out to the movie to be like, this is a sexist joke. But I want to focus more of an overarching theme within the film and the associated trope and permutations of that trope. Because there are three different ways that this specific trope usually manifests. And I think it's fun. So that theme is vanity. Specifically, the vanity associated with folks who identify as women. Yeah. As a personality trait, it's basically universally understood as a negative trait. Like, there's not usually a positive connotation around vanity if you're talking about it in terms of personality. There's, like, a vanity table, and that's, like, a nice little piece of furniture that you can get on Ohio auctions. Um, But (laughs) as a personality trait pretty much generally understood as negative, you can have confidence, and that is generally positive, but vanity is understood to be a flaw quote-unquote right lots of fables and morality tales warn of the cost of vanity oh yeah and it's like accepting the case of Narcissus, like in ancient greek mm-hmm. uh the most of them are like mm, women just look at their reflections and like they're too vain so it's very gendered so before we dive into that if you want a definition yes dictionary.com is here to support you good they're always there for quote me. they're always there for you yeah Love that. Excessive pride in one's appearance, qualities, abilities, achievements, etc. And there are others because it can be like multiple types of nouns, but like that's the one that we're talking about. We're not talking about the piece of furniture. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we could, but we're not. Later. So, later. <laughs> Save it. Yeah. In the Patreon content, we'll talk about furniture. We'll do like a little after after a little podcast yeah. thing where we just talk about furniture. Yeah. Yeah. After hours. <gasps> good. Just stool with it. Oh! <gasps> 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 That's hard though, because stool is... means poop. So listen, we're we're oh, doing a shit, hard. Tits. It's it's a fine line it's we a walk. Fine line we walk. Yeah, but you know we're bold. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna keep keep chugging along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we talked about gender stereotypes before, and of mm-hmm. course things are always changing as the years pass. But historically and broadly, in the context of the U.S., excessive concern over appearance is appearance. Excessive concern over appearance. Yeah. is typically attributed to folks who identify as women Mm -hmm. and who decides what's excessive well generally the folks with most power in society which in a patriarchy tends to be cis men so again broad strokes yeah this is i'm not painting with a fine brush here uh it's also super binaristic which we know isn't actually representative of how humans exist on a spectrum right but if we're looking at hey this is how like power structures reinforce or like bop people down or prevent them from like rising in a certain field like these are the general trends that we see yeah of like um inequalities Mm -hmm. so anyway the core of this theme is that women are prone to vanity yeah whatever so the trope itself is called vanity is feminine and there are three ways it can manifest so one women are vain and this is a bad thing two women are vain and this is the natural and correct state of affairs three women are vain and this is not right or wrong so much as necessary yeah so how do these different terms of plot and analysis? We'll start at the top. Women are vain and that's a bad thing. Pride's a sin, etc. So we're going to heal here directly from TV tropes because they have a lot of other tropes kind of like wrapped into this. Right. Where it's like, oh, this can arise if you do this or if it's used as a plot point in this way, this comes up. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to take it right back to the source, you know? Hell yeah. So, quote, sometimes the trouble brought on by vanity will be strictly limited to comedy, i.e. when women will pack two weeks' worth of clothing for an overnight trip and primp and preen in front of any shiny surface they haven't passed. 
At other times, it will cause more serious plot-related complications, as even the most level-headed female types will promptly turn into a horrible judge of character if they are paid an appearance-based compliment by an antagonist. Women will also be tempted, far more than their male counterparts, by promises of youth and beauty at whatever cost. There's a reason that the vain sorceress and the plastic bitch are almost exclusively female character types. At the most misogynistic end of the scale, women being vain is linked directly to their own downfall, and often the downfall of any men who fall for their wiles, thus mm-hmm. presenting women as the inherently less moral sex, and vanity as an inborn proclivity to sin that women must strive harder to overcome if they wish to be truly virtuous. Yeah. In such a narrative, a non-vain or less vain woman is shown as a model of virtue, and often an unkempt beauty. Makeup and Makeup is evil is often in full play, with vanity leading naturally to deceit, and in older works, reckless endangerment of health, perhaps with lead-based or arsenic-based makeup. Yeah. So that's a long-ass quote, but it wraps in, like, ten different tropes of, like, horrible judge of character, vain sorceress, plastic bitch, uh, uncomed beauty, makeup is evil, like, all of these different things where we wrap up, like, this is all the different ways... That we can say, you have to look good, but you're not allowed to know that you look good. Because right. that's evil. So. That's. Uh, that's the first one. That's the reading of vanity as inherently wrong. Right. There's also the idea that an obsession around personal appearance is the natural order of things for mm-hmm. folks who identify as women. Right. We see this all the time in glow up stories. Uh, Princess Diaries is just like one of the many examples of a makeover montage yeah. that I automatically think of. Miss Congeniality and, too. Oh my god, yes. That one's a, yeah, a big one. And it's like baked into the consciousness yes. of so many it, people who grew up watching these stories. Do you know how long I straightened my hair because they gave her a makeover oh. and I was like, curly hair is bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's always curly hair needs to be straight. <laughs> they take off their glasses, they straighten their curly hair. Yep. They wear less, quote-unquote, frumpy clothes. Like, it, it, it follows trends. <laughs> yeah. It's so many things that you're just like, but I do that. <laughs> like, what? Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so, like, this, like, dream of a glow-up and this, like, femininity, like, growing into yourself and, like, shedding the awkward socialness, like, that is seen as part of growing up in, like, really harmful ways. Yeah. And so it's just kind of, like, baked into our idea of what growing up means. So that's to say, like, Growing up is shedding your awkwardness and glasses and being like mascara and lipstick to like die. So the variation of this trope tends to not paint vanity itself as a bad thing, mm-hmm. but does reinforce the idea that the ultimate goal of women is to be visibly acceptable to others. Right. Their value is reduced to how well they conform to beauty standards. And they're also not allowed to know that they're beautiful. Oh God, they no. have to be like me. You have to be beautiful, but if you say anything about it and you're like, yeah, I am. People are like, well, you're disgusting now. Like, <laughs> like you're absolutely. Be not allowed. Oh, so you agree? You think you're pretty? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> so you agree? You think you're really pretty? <laughs> the eyes. <laughs> Say it. Say it. So the last one is what yeah. I think is a really interesting way to engage with this. Mm-hmm. Women are vain, and this is not right or wrong so much as necessary. Right. So I want to take it back to TV tropes again to get a direct quote. That had like an extra letter that in had, it. Like, There's an extra consonant in there. I like that. <laughs> It had some warble. I don't know what happened. I wish that uh, I just had a little hit clip that was just you going, direct quote. I love it. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> Whenever I have a direct quote to say, I'm like, my turn. <laughs> Every time I say it, I'm like, you did it again. Oh, no. You <laughs> so have to. If you don't, it's, tra- it's tradition. You can't. Tradition. Okay. Tradition. 
So this is a quote directly from tvtricks.org. <laughs> wow. How do you? Okay. It's fine. I already said it once. I can't no, double fine. dip, you know? No, it's fine. Direct quote. There it is. Yeah, yeah. This is for you. So in historical settings or other deliberately misogynistic settings, this trope is sometimes also played as a natural reaction to the circumstances. Women in these worlds obsess over their appearance because beauty and charm are considered women's weapons, possibly their only weapons in a world stacked heavily against them, or at least the only culturally acceptable ones. Right. When handled in this way, the message isn't that women are intrinsically vain, but that they have to behave that way because the structure of their society legitimately means that their appearance can have a dramatic impact on their life. Yeah. So this is where I think we can really start to dig into vanity as it appears in Death Becomes Her. Yeah. We know that as a movie star, youth and beauty are central to success and staying in Hollywood. And um, I don't know if you've seen this. It's probably like, oh, God, I don't know how many years old. It's from Inside Amy Schumer. Mm -hmm. And it's called Last Fuckable Day. And it has Tina Fey, Julie Louise Dreyfus, and Dreyfus? Dreyfus? I don't know how to say it. Dreyfus? I think so. Dreyfus? One of those. And (laughs) one of those. And Patricia Arquette. And so it's like three famous, Yeah. And um, uh, Amy Schumer is, like, jogging in the woods. And she comes across this, like, cute little banquet that these three famous women are having. And she's like, oh, my God, I love you guys. And, like, oh, we're actually toasting to uh, Julia's last fuckable day. And they're like, what? (laughs) And they say, in every actress's life, the media decides when you finally reach the point where you are not believably fuckable anymore. And so they talk about it, whatever. And then Amy's like, but what about men? Who tells men when it's their last fuckable day? And everyone laughs at her. (laughs) And says, honey, men don't have that day. They're fuckable forever. They could be 100 and like nothing but white spiders coming out, but they're fuckable. (laughs) Yeah. That one is Tina Fey. (laughs) That line. (laughs) Uh, So this bit is, I don't know, like three minutes. And it's a relatively simple premise that essentially points out that women's sex appeal is connected to their age. And that in turn determines what roles they're considered for. It doesn't capture the full scope, obviously. No. They're all white women who are more likely to get lead roles. Right. Uh, They're all in thin bodies, more likely to get major roles. Like all of these things. But it does capture at least one facet of saying like their age – and, like, the appearance of their age is intrinsically tied to their paychecks. Yeah. And, like, their ability to land certain types of roles. And I think that where death becomes her veers away from type three and more into type one is that her career, Madeline's career prospects are not clearly tied to her appearance as her own sense of self is. Right. So she isn't shown, like, missing out on, like, jobs. Right. She's shown, like, having emotionally traumatizing events that are interpersonal but it's not tied to specifically like there is this economy of beauty in hollywood and her like capital is waning yeah so all of madden hell's stuff is directed at winning a man's attention it's not about an industry that won't hire a woman as soon as the shadow of a wrinkle emerges on her face right mad's extramarital partner cheats on her because she's too old and therefore not desirable enough for him yeah it's not about an author that can't get anything published until she uses a masculine or gender-neutral pen name. The struggles of Madden Hell are directed at one object con- of contestation. And usually it's like object of affection, but they do not – there is not affection. <laughs> That's the best It's just part. a contest. It's literally just wanting him because the other has it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, they're fully fueled by this desire to win this like two-person contest of the most mm-hmm. beautiful. Yep. If the driving force to mm-hmm. be young and hot had been about the pressures of society and how their successes were predicated upon that, I feel like we'd fall into the third reading of Vanity is Feminine. Yeah. But the focus on the film 
The focus of the film is not on an industry that perpetuates horrific standards. It's immensely personal story of mad and hell with those societal pressures being present, but not the primary catalyst. Like, their competition with each other is, again, drawing from those societal pressures, Mm -hmm. but it's not actually, like, totally driven from it. So, to me, a straight reading of this, and I mean that in several respects, would be that... At the time this was written and filmed, it was not meant to critique Hollywood specifically for sexism. It was mocking an industry obsession with beauty and youth, but it wasn't exactly calling out the structures of power and flow of money that cement sexism and ageism and racism. Mm-hmm. Um, the writers were like, yeah, we wanted to like show how there's like this weird like alien presence in Hollywood, basically. And there, it was like of like... I don't want to misquote them because I don't have it, like, directly in front of mm-hmm. me. But basically, they were saying, like, people in Hollywood do very, like, radically strange things to their bodies. But it wasn't actually looking at the, like, forces that caused that to happen. Right. Um. So, like, when we're watching the movie, Madeline and Helen are shown to be reprehensible creatures. Matt is referred to as it numerous times by numerous people. Yeah. Matt is awful to anyone who crosses her path until yeah. she needs them for something. Helen keeps losing opportunities at love because her more sensual and famous friend steals them. She has failed at femininity. Mm-hmm. So the only way to claim space for herself and get revenge is to outdo mad at youth and beauty. Right. So ultimately, it's a power struggle between two women weaponizing what society deems as valuable about them. And this is one of the spaces where folks can carve out a place for identification. Uh, with less power in society, they use the tools available to them. They're told that their value is in beauty, so they wield that as a weapon until they find shovels and decide those will do nicely, too. And we look at the only one who lives a happy rest of their life, and that's Ernest. The preacher at his funeral remarks about his family and legacy and all that shit, and is the only one that turned down immortality and a second chance at his glorious career. It's hard not to read into that. Yeah. So, the sexism inherent in that reading of the movie makes it all the more fascinating that this is a queer cult classic. Yeah. And there are many theories for why, as I just, like, gesture wildly with my cat. She's really just, like, yeah. I love it. <laughs> She's ridiculous. So, because it's Pride Month, and because I would talk about this anyway, uh, I want to go back into, like, why could this potentially be, like, a cult classic that is, like, beloved by queer folks? Let's talk. Uh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Whoop. It, my AC kicked on and Goose felt it on her butt and got alarmed. <laughs> I saw her yeah. stiffen. I was like, she's done. Yeah. She's out of there. She's done. She's done. Okay. So we talked about this tangentially in our episode on Jennifer's body. When yeah. We discussed the stages of representation for marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. The, st- the first stage is look at these awful, weird people who are unlike us. Those are fairly easy to identify. Yeah. <laughs> like movies in that stage. I get that out. Yeah. Uh, then... <laughs> Society course corrects and said, here's an absolutely faultless member of this marginalized community to prove that we're not racist or homophobic or sexist or whatever. <laughs> then the third stage is when characters from marginalized communities finally get to be messy in the same way that cishet white men are allowed to be messy right. and have been allowed to be messy. So they can be complicated and or problematic and still be the protagonist or relatable. Yeah. And I say we tangentially talked about this <clears throat> because I'm interested in looking at how people engage with films that are still in stage one but carve out a space for empowerment and identification. Yeah. So one of the articles I read, it was from Vanity Fair, on this film's status as a queer cult classic, mm-hmm. and they interviewed Jarek Hoffer, perhaps better known as drag queen Jinx Monsoon. <laughs> so uh, that's one of my favorite seasons of Drag Race, and uh, Jinx was my favorite, and so I was so happy that she won. 
but uh, it was really exciting to like come across this article so with cool. her interview. Yeah, I know Jinx, but so, I've never seen Drag Race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, oh my god, I watched. Never seen an episode. I'm sure it's good. Oh my! If you ever want to watch, listen. we should. <laughs> Seasons like four through six are my favorite. I like never had a place to watch it or someone to watch with, so I was like, I'll just wait until I have a friend who wants to. You know what I mean? It was like one of those we'll shows. We'll do it. I was like, I'll just wait. <laughs> so I found. No, you. it became like. A thing with uh, me and one of my roommates in Colorado. We would get like a bottle of Sauv Blanc and sit down and we would watch Drag Race. Oh and my God. of episodes, Iron Chef. Let's or do this. Of, I'm or, so excited yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so pumped. Okay. Yes. So this is a plan. Yeah. In the meantime, here's a quote. Good. So Hoffer ties Helen and Madeline to a lineage of beloved bad women who dared to be both divinely stylish and then unrepentantly ambitious. I think this is a trait that runs throughout the queer community, the obsession with the hyper-feminine female villains, Hoffer explained. And we see it in Disney movies, and in movies like Death Becomes Her, and in characters like Poison Ivy and Catwomen. Cat- Catwomen. There's it's multiple. so many. Uh, so many. And Catwoman. Yes. Uh, almost all Disney villain witches are gay icons, like Sleeping Beauty's Maleficent and her with her cold cackle and cool cape, or The Little Mermaid's Octopussy Ursula, whose design was reportedly inspired to be... Uh, who was reportedly inspired by the defiant drag queen Divine. Yeah. Um, I think it's a combination of it being a strong female character who you love, how evil she is, you know, Hoffer said. I don't know why that is a trait that appeals to queer people so much, but it's pretty consistent amongst the queer community. I think that it has something to do with feeling like outcasts and imagining yourself in this position of power where even though you're the outcast, you still have some kind of power and strength within you. So that was an extended quote from the article mixing oh, like that's so interview with Hoffer and like the writing. Yeah. And then... The executive producer for Drag Race, Tom Campbell, feels similarly. Quote, they're fighting for beauty. They're against the system. They're also villains, but we understand their complexity. We root for the undead divas because they're trying to win a game that's rigged against them. And to borrow an apocryphal quote from Ginger Rogers, they sort of have to do it backwards and in high heels. Madeline and Helen are evil, vengeful bitches, but they're also bold, ambitious, and demanding. In that sense, they've spoken to women, queer or not, who felt confined by the likable heroines of film and television. Like the glamour girls of classic Hollywood, Madeline and Helen are fierce and flawless, uncompromising and awe-striking. They're the zombie equivalent of Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, two other divas adored by the queer community for their resilience, resilience, for their resilience, beauty, and daring. So this article primarily focused on the perspectives of gay men and drag queens, mm-hmm. but like they're definitely not the only members of the queer community that can revel in this no. story. <laughs> so another quote. However they find it, Death Becomes Her is an elixir of life for its fans, one that not only spurs them to laugh at the absurd vanity and suffocating heteronormativity, but gives them license to challenge those things. We can relate to Helen and Madeline's rejection of tedious norms and aspire to their determination to get what's theirs. Death Becomes Her is a fantasy of defiance and power, beauty and eternal youth. And even if it ends as a nightmare for its anti-heroines, to its cult audience, they are eternally queens. Ugh. That's so good! (laughs) Yeah, and it's like... This is where it ended up just spinning in circles because maybe it becomes like so absurd that it looks back upon itself like the horseshoe theory of politics yeah. where you get so far on one side. And it, that and in the end, it's like this is just something I really appreciate about this movie is that I don't feel tethered to or limited by how it was originally written. Mm-mm. I can watch this as like a balls to the walls comedy. Yeah. No problematic things as there always will be. Right. <laughs> Uh, but still appreciate the over-the-top dramatics, old Hollywood glamour, hilarious one-liners. And so I wanted to say, like, yeah, there's obviously some problematic shit in here. But also there's ways that people see it and say, like, I can identify with this struggle. And I think that's really beautiful. I'm, oh, 
I love that. I love this movie. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much fun. So that's with very it. Cool. That's so good. I I loved the beginning and I loved the end. That was great. It's a wild ride. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This movie is just so fun, and like, I get, like, I can understand why it's a queer classic, a hundred percent. And I like it's not outwardly queer, but it gives yeah. you so many places to be like, little gay, don't you think? Like, <laughs> and I love yeah. that. I think that's so funny. Uh-huh. Like, oh my god, there were so many times where I was like, just kiss. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, now kiss. And it was great because not only are there moments where you want them to get together or you can just assume, you know what I mean? Like you can be like, yeah, they are. But there's also, do you think they've explored each other's bodies? (laughs) They're broken apart, decaying bodies. Absolutely. As they're spraying each other's asses for them. (laughs) That's why it's so good. But I also love that um, it's become this, I mean, it was a thing. It's always been a thing to treat women as like objects in movies. Like Mm -hmm. they're a love interest. That's all they're going to be. Blah, blah, blah. And in this, it's kind of like that with Bruce Willis's character, Ernest. But instead of being like, he's an object, he's just a love interest. He's like barely that. He's just something they want. But neither of them have any interest in him, like romantically or sexually. They're just like, well, you have him, so I want him. And it's just fun to see it flipped to be like, yeah, I don't give a fuck about him. But (laughs) and then Uh at the end, he's like, I've got everything. I'm perfect. And so it still sucks. You know what I mean? Like it was like, he's been nothing but an object in this movie. And then all of a sudden at the end, he is the one who basically wins. And these two women, it's, it's just good. It was like, they showed, I don't know how to explain it, but they showed women losing in a funny way to be like, doesn't it suck? (laughs) You're kind of like, yeah, it does. Yeah. (laughs) But it it was just good. It was refreshing. It was fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of my favorite horror comedies we've done. Yeah, I'd say. We've done a few. Yeah. I'm trying to think of which ones. Cabin in the Woods, definitely. I was about to say Cabin in the Woods. There I'm including... Like a, what was the one that I was like, I'm including... Oh, Evil Dead, even though it's... Oh, yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that one's wild. I was thinking of that one a lot, actually, because mm-hmm. of, like, the uh, rotated head thing. Yes. I was, like, I know that the effects aren't, like, of the same right. time or, like, style or, like, method, but it just reminded me of, like, the extreme absurdism it's of it. It's the over-the-top, like, yeah. okay, yep. <laughs> and you just have to roll with it. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about horror. Um, I feel like... A lot of the the horror comes from body horror in this one. Yeah. And then, like, the society. You know what I mean? It's it's the two mm-hmm. hand in hand together. Um, oh, they're friends. But I'll go through my notes. I feel like I don't have a okay. lot because I was, again, extremely zoned in to this movie. Oh, I feel that. The first special effect we get that was killing me was the rain. <laughs> Not yes. even special effect. It, it felt like a filter. It was like... It looked like it was a like picture or just an image, and they threw a rain filter over. <laughs> and that's when I knew we were in for a wild ride. I was like, yep, you couldn't even. Knew. It was a mix of that filter and real rain. I don't know, but it was incredible. Um, I didn't even recognize Bruce Willis. He. Yeah, no, I didn't either. Because I didn't look at the cast. I only knew Goldie Hawn, Meryl Streep, um, 
didn't care who the guy was. I was like, whatever. Um, and so I was watching it and I was like, he looks kind of familiar. <laughs> it was Bruce Willis. <laughs> took me like a while. It was a real Kate moment where I was like, he kind of looks like Bruce Willis, but probably yeah. not. And they want us to think it's Bruce Willis. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I, I don't even know what part this is, but I said, the blood on his hands. God, she's so mad. <laughs> I don't even remember what this was from. I wish I could. Um, also, Goldie Hawn looked so different. They did such a good job. Yeah. Like, I I genuinely did not recognize her at all. In, they gave in her any like a scene. bland sweater and blunt bangs and yes. it changed. <laughs> and then of course, unfortunately, they use a fat suit on her and again, yeah. she's unrecognizable. I because she yeah. has that same hair, I genuinely was like, what is it? Yeah. Um I will say that now. I I hate fat suits in movies. I hate yep. it. I hate it so much. It makes um, me very angry. It makes me so angry and it's just yep. so annoying that that is like it, it's still a thing, but it was so aggressive in the 90s that it was like Oh, if we want to show that she's not pretty anymore, make sure she's fat. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I fucking hate that. It was like a staple. Like if she wasn't fat, yeah. they were like, oh, people think she's pretty. Careful. Yep. Ugh. Yeah. So that part got to me. I hated that. I did. This movie had so many good quick cuts. When it cut to the wedding, I was dying laughing. When she's like, when he's like, honey, you're looking too deep into this. I would never do that to you. And then immediately it's the wedding <laughs> with yes. Meryl Streep. That was a Gilligan cut of, I have absolutely no interest was in Madeline Ashton. <laughs> and she's like, mm. <laughs> uh, I did like oh. that they continuously show Goldie's Han, like with her hands, and she's constantly wringing mm-hmm. that paper, like kind of throughout the film, at least in the beginning. And it was so funny. And I don't know. It just was great. Uh, their relationship, Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep, is so consistent. It cracked me up. The, hi! <laughs> the, mm-hmm. like, nice hellos and the, the backhanded compliments. It just continues yeah. throughout the whole film and stays that way. And it's so funny. Oh, and I said, ah, oh, yes, some good old-fashioned fat phobia. Uh, yep. I did think the set was really cool. Um, mm. Every set. I mean, it was, like, it was weirdly minimal. Like, there wasn't that much. And then some would have so much. And it had classic... Uh, late 80s early 90s look uh yeah it, i'll tell you the movie it reminded me of when i get to the triple features i picked because <gasps> there's one that I'm i so picked excited. that i don't think you've seen but i'm hoping Ooh. i'm hoping it's still we'll get to it okay um i'm also obsessed with the costumes they were yeah. so i don't know they felt like they were so close to being over the top but that was like the point you know, because it wasn't mm-hmm. quite, it wasn't quite like, whoa, that's crazy. But it was like, yeah, it was wild. Also, she had lipstick on her teeth and I didn't know if that was purposeful or not. I couldn't tell either and it was driving me up the wall. It was driving me nuts because I kept watching going, if it was purposeful, that's very funny, but they didn't draw any attention to it. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. Oh, I also, I have to admit something. I'm really sorry. Uh, girlfriend, listen. Don't plug your ears. I fell in love with this mystery woman. This one that gives the elixir. Yeah. Uh, that's, um, oh, shit. Uh, Isabella Rossellini. Yes. yes. Rossellini. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. I read a lot. Uh, hold on. 
Yeah. <laughs> Isabella Rossellini. Um, I wanted to know everything about her. Mm-hmm. And so I read like an interview with her and she was talking about like doing nudity in films yeah. and about like, I need to send you this article because like yeah. she was so insightful and so like oh, dedicated do. to craft. It was such an amazing article to read and I'm obsessed with her. Well, so that's that. That was something I was going to talk about with the costumes and why I loved her so much specifically mm-hmm. is that like she is mostly nude but like covered a little bit in most of her scenes but the way that she like moved and the way that she spoke it didn't feel like she was like a sex object I didn't I don't know it was just weird because like you see her Mm -hmm. butt you get some beautiful side boob but I never felt like I was like oh that's like yeah she's a sexual being in this movie I just Mm -hmm. thought she was powerful I thought she was so cool and I thought that the costumes and the way that they had them placed on her like the beads and how it was so intricate mm-hmm. was more exciting than seeing the side boob yeah <laughs> which I love I was I don't know maybe it was just me but I was like that felt it felt like the costume itself was more cool and exciting than her nudity yeah I don't know and it's like in the scene where she is swimming nude in the pool. Mm-hmm. She is actually, she gets out of the pool wearing high heels and a scarf. Yes. And then like she was swimming in high heels and a scarf. Um, she also did have a body double for that part. Oh, and did she? it was, yeah. So that's part, part of the article was about. And they were like, was it because you were like uncomfortable? And she's like, no, no, no. It's because I felt like it had to really be accurate for this person. And I just didn't have the body that I thought should be viewed in that image like for the character and yeah. she's like i'm just like a little bit rounder and shorter and i wanted someone like long oh, and so they had someone do the swimming part I see. but she was like no i like she didn't personally have any issues with like nudity in movies she was just like i had a vision for what yeah. this looked like and i knew that my body didn't exactly fit yeah so here we are and that's interesting because again it's not her saying that like she wasn't sexy enough or whatever it's that, like whoever she wanted to be in the pool had to look powerful long and like mm-hmm. intimidating and her character is so good because at no mm-hmm. point even though the whole movie is about vanity and about being young in this i never looked at her and was like i don't know she was sexy don't get me wrong i was mm-hmm. like oh wow wow but <laughs> but she just was so powerful most of it came from yeah. how confident she was and I was like oh mm-hmm. god she's so cool yeah. she was just an interesting character I really enjoyed her <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I said kind of have a huge crush on this mystery woman and then the yeah. line that killed me she was not only interesting because she was so confident and cool I thought she was interesting because her moments were slightly comedic but just so slightly they were peppered in with like so much mystery and this and that. But then when it would come down to money, she'd be like, is a check okay? She'd be like, that's fine. <laughs> yep. Like it lost yep. all of its magic when she's like, I'll give you a check. She's like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. just even the most mysterious people are like, oh, I'll still get paid. Like, <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. She was great. She was fun. Yep. Uh, I said, I like the over the topness of this whole movie. It's very campy. I said it would be a really fun remake. If they kept mm-hmm. the same campiness, but just took out the stuff that makes it a little hard to watch. Um, yeah. They also drag version of it. <gasps> Nuh-uh. Yeah. Jinx Monsoon did it. I want to see it. Mm-hmm. That sounds incredible. Um, yep. They had really great makeup the entire movie, too. 
Um, mm. Even the subtle stuff. Like, obviously, the special effect makeup is great. I thought it looked really cool. Um, but the subtle makeup of Meryl when she's, like, younger and when she's a little older, mm-hmm. um, it was never too over the top. It's over the top in the fact that the movie itself is campy and it's supposed to be. But I never looked at her and was like, why does she look like an old witch? You know, I just was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's a woman who's aged. And she's still beautiful. Yeah. So that was cool. Some good yeah. subtle makeup. The only part that made me laugh was the hand. Did that with the like liver spots? Because I'm like, yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> that also she's made not me laugh. that old. Like, is she? <laughs> but no. I was like, how else do you show age in a hand? I guess. I mean, I don't know. It was probably easier than wrinkles. But yeah. it, it made me laugh. Um, also, I don't know if you caught it. You probably did. Was this supposed to be the abnormal brain? Is that supposed to be a joke to Frankenstein? Did you see it? I think so, yes. I thought that was Can fun. You, where was it? Um, it's it's a moment when she they call someone. I can't remember who she calls. Um, and in the background there's a jar with the brain in it and it says like abnormal. And I was like, Oh, right. I think it's after yeah, she's yeah. like died or something. So it might have been like the morgue. Yes. I um, think it was like the, yeah, the morgue. There were definitely like several shout outs to like Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, especially like the uh, lightning like it's a miracle <laughs> like I've been called yeah it was so good the abnormal ring killed me um also I was obsessed the the costume that I loved the most was the black like cat suit with the pink robe over it I was going to say I was Ugh. oh my god the like scarf situation over yes. the cat suit and like, it's oh my god and it's incredible because it's one it's like sleek it's cool she it's like really tight so it shows off her body and how she's proud of it now but not only that, but then she's got this pink, very feminine little robe on over it. And it's the same mm-hmm. color as like the potion. So it, it gave me this vibe of like, oh, a cloud of like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like of, uh, I don't know, uh, immortality, like around her. Yeah. Like it was just, it was so cool. And the, it, the color was beautiful. And then obviously she's got this beautiful robe on. She just took her potion and then she immediately fall down the stairs the uh-huh. little, that poke was so fucking funny that's a trope is it yep it's like poke of doom hold on let me find it um finger poke of doom it was it's just it killed me because he really did look like he was gonna help i would bruce willis killed it this one I really could see him just being distraught and sad throughout this whole film. And then that he's like, oh, I don't know. Should I help her? And then she's like, you idiot. And he immediately just bugs her. Uh-huh. And then I was thinking of like oh. the um, Gone with the Wind, like fall down the stairs yeah. and how this was very much like, and she keeps falling and she keeps falling. She hits every fucking stair twice. She's like, and the noise it made was so perfect. You can hear like little bits of cracking, some smacks. Yeah. And it was so funny. Like it was hor- horrific to see, but it was also yeah. it's hard not to laugh. So good, good on this movie. Uh, I'll save that because that's my scariest moment. Um, one of my favorite lines was it showed how like campy and funny it was, was when they take her to the morgue and he comes back and he's like, where's my wife? And they're like, she's in the morgue. And he goes, the morgue, she'll be furious. Yep. <laughs> yep. And she was. <laughs> and she so was. But it's it's hysterical. <laughs> Those are all the notes I took because I was so focused in. Oh, and the tracking shots. The tracking shots in this were so Ooh. good. Um 
they would go because like they live in that big mansion and stuff and a lot of it would happen either after her big fall or it would highlight moments where they were like really up high and it would like follow Ernest and then go all the way down and up and show how big this mansion mm-hmm. was they just did a good job establishing the size of rooms and I don't know yeah I just had a good My- time with it one of my favorite things was like the use of negative space for tension, yes. just like very Halloween of like when he's on the phone and you see her just like mangled, folded the wrong way, body in the background, slowly start to like reset yes. her legs on her own and stuff. And I was like, I knew that was what was going to happen, but it was still so satisfying to watch it's it. It's so good. That's what I said at the at the beginning when they have some shots where it feels kind of busy, like in Ernest's office, like it's very cramped and there's a lot of stuff, but I think that's on purpose to be like, he kind of lives here. Like this whole mansion feels so empty, but this room is so full because that's where he's allowed to keep his things. Um, but then when she goes to like the office to get, um, before she gets the card for the, the lady mm-hmm. with the potion and that guy has the, tw- the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was, that was very <laughs> interesting. Um, but that, that room felt very empty because again, I think we're supposed mm-hmm. to be focusing on her and how like, I don't know, desperate she is. And it was, it was good. They used the set to show yeah. what we should be focused on. Um, there's like that clinical, like, yeah, yeah. of like a boutique spa where it's like, we're not going to have plants everywhere. This is going to be like a very minimalist thing. Yeah. And that's how you know it's expensive and good. Exactly. It was so interesting. But then when she goes to get the potion, it's like this beautiful mansion that has so many, like a roaring fire. There's people, there's decoration. And again, it's like, well, she's immortal. She's lived a long life. These are things that she has and she's collected. And oh, it's just great. Um, do you want to hear my triple feature ideas? Yes, okay. please. So I have more than three just because I was like, I'll give you options. Ooh, um, okay, okay, okay. So the first one, this is what the set reminded me of a lot because mm. it had the campiness mixed with like very purposeful, when should it be empty? When should it be full? Uh, was Beetlejuice. Ooh, I don't know okay, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the one you haven't seen? I, I have seen it. Okay. I saw it for the first time this last Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> so it had that same like kind of over the top uh special effects because they have the sandworm and he's very you know it it takes you out of it but in a good way like it's not at all the same look as any of the other scenes and Mm -hmm. that's how i felt with her head (laughs) so beetlejuice was one they had the same Mm kind of campy feel in the set and then the other one that had the same this is specific this one had the same kind of plot so i was like oh this has to be a fit adam's family values Oh, with the girl who marries Fester. And then she's like, I'm trying to kill him so I can get all of his money. It was that same like revenge. I'm going to kill you. Get all the amazing. Okay. I haven't seen Adam's family values. Oh, it's so fun. And it had had the same time period. So I was like, oh, they had that same special effect. Campy vibes, goth, Mm -hmm, spooky, mm -hmm. but funny. Um, Another one. I don't know if you've seen this, but this one is incredible. And if you haven't seen it, we're putting on the list. Witches of Eastwick. No, I haven't. Oh, it's okay. So it's Cher. It's <gasps> yeah. Susan Sarandon. And oh it's, my oh my God. I can't remember her name, but she was the cat woman who's super sexy and does the whip. Oh, oh, um, what the fuck okay. Is her name? So 
I know two Catwomen that are yeah. like decades apart. One of them's Halle Berry. Uh-huh. And then the other one is Eartha Kitt. Nope. Neither of those. I but... don't know the ones in between them. Uh, well, look for Dave. She's so attractive. She's ridiculous. Okay. She's amazing. But it's the three of them and they're like bored in this small town. And then Jack Nicholson comes to town and he's literally the devil. And he gives them powers and they become witches. And it's so sexy and campy. But then at the end, they're like, I don't like this. Like... <laughs> amazing it had similar okay, I need to watch that you would love it we should watch it for this because it's spooky okay. but it's funny and then the other one was practical magic that was my other uh, option okay i still haven't seen it it's great i mean we are reserving that one for yeah. one of our guests yeah i know it's very slightly funny zombies witches yeah. it's good stuff nice so yeah did you I have any that. good triple features i didn't like i was watching this and i had so many notes on like the aesthetics of it and mm-hmm. then like the themes but i think i got like too wrapped up in themes because yeah. um i was like okay well the writer or director someone also did like who framed roger rabbit and yeah. i've seen that didn't love it um and i'm trying to think like i also just saw my um notes and i misspelled something horrifically <laughs> no uh, we'll get to it in a minute can't but wait I couldn't think of something that I wanted to pair this with, but I, it doesn't mean that it's not paired with right, something. Right, Still working on it. Yeah. I think I might put it with Evil Dead. Evil Dead is a really good option. Now that we've talked yeah. about it more, I'm like, absolutely. Evil Dead's a great yeah. one. Yeah. I'm going to keep thinking on this one. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy I just had options because usually I don't yeah. have options. So I wanted to come prepared. Um, but, but those are my notes on horror I just really I okay. loved the costumes I loved everything everything fit together so well yeah but it was oh, it was just fun I think one of my favorite parts about the movie was mm-hmm. like how there was so much like twinning happening yeah. and there's actually like you know a word for this I can't remember it right now because it's been a long ass week yeah but um, we have Madeline in her like black cat suit And then she falls down the stairs. She's dead, whatever. And so then Hell comes and she's trying to sneak in. She's also wearing like kind of a black cat suit situation. And uh, Hell is trying to seduce Ernest. And she's like, sexual, sexual sex. And then she just keeps saying sex because she's like, look, I can say these things. And then Madeline is uh, torturing him like verbally and saying, flaccid, flaccid, flaccid. And you have this like mirroring of these two women that are both torturing him in a different way right. for their own ends and yet they're competing for him which is so funny yes so you could just <laughs> i just love it and then like when they wore red versus when they wore mm-hmm. black and like just the way that you always have them kind of like being the warped mirror of each other or i just loved that yeah. it was so fun the way that it just kept being set up i know um the part that i have as um one of my weirdest typos recently. Uh, I was trying to type gnarliest, and I typed gharliest. <laughs> All right. Like, That's not right. That's beautiful. But it was supposed to be, that is the gnarliest smoothie, smoothie there ever was. And it's right after he takes her back from the morgue, and he's like, I can paint her like a corpse. And so I think... I think what's in the blender is a paint blend. Yeah. Not really sure, though, at this moment. <laughs> no way to say for sure. <laughs> There's no way to know for sure, and it was potentially gross. Um, <laughs> but I'm, like, going through seeing, like, you also had um, the negative space shot where 
Mad is coming back to life, you know, or mm-hmm. not coming back to life, but like, you know, Resetting. putting herself kind of back together. Yeah. And then you had that again with Mad talking to Ernest yes. while Hill is doing that in the background. Uh, so I love that shit. Um, I'm trying to think. Amazing one-liners. There were so many. Um, I don't think this is a miracle at all. <laughs> like, really? Ernest cracked me honey? up. <laughs> I also, I may have said this at one point already, I thought the entire movie until basically end that they were sisters. Really? I just kind of assumed, based on like that close hatred dynamic, yeah. that they were like competitive sisters. And then <clears throat> the moment that I realized that they weren't was when she said, you didn't want, like, you didn't invite me to come over to your house after school for sleepovers. I was like, oh, they're not sisters. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, and things made more sense then, but, you know. That was such a fun moment, too, when they are in, like, she's like, say it. You thought I was cheap. <laughs> she's like, mm-hmm. maybe I thought you were cheap. And then she's like, maybe I hurt you on purpose. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Yep. admitting how much they've how long they've been so mean to each other and how long they've stayed friends is is just hysterical <laughs> yeah yeah it's almost like they stayed friends out of spite and now yeah. they are again spending their entire lives together not lives their entire after lives <laughs> together out of spite like their yep. whole everything is just spiteful they're uh, like I don't know the correct, like, planetary description for this, but mm-hmm. they're, like, stuck in each other's gravity fields. Oh, yeah. And just, like, just, oh, my God, I loved it. Um, so let's good. see. Those are, like, I have a lot of notes, but most of them don't make much sense. Oh. It's about, like, specific jokes um, of Presley faked his own death, and he was like, I was just trying to have some fun. Yeah. Uh, the dogs and, like, the foot pedal and the elevators. And oh, my God, And at know. one point... Like, uh, Liesl says, like, Dick, Tom, Harry. And I was like, that's beautiful because it's, like, any Tom, Dick, or Harry. Like, the <laughs> phrase. I loved that. I I also love the celebrities. I love that he takes James Dean's car. <laughs> yup. That's great. And I had a moment where I was like, I, I recognize that this assorted cast of, like, humans from different time periods are supposed to be people that I know. I don't know who half these people are. I could only identify Marilyn Monroe yep. and Elvis Presley. And so I was like, oh, Andy Warhol was there. And I was like, was he? I saw Andy Warhol. I really, that was about it. I need James yeah. Dean, Andy Warhol, and then the two, Elvis and Marilyn Monroe. And then I, the rest, mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then I was looking at, okay, so this was just like an expectation that didn't come true, but it was so minor. And it would have been like a very silly joke that would have just been for me, basically. But when they have the vial, she first shows it, and it's, like, pink and, like, yeah. beautiful and effervescent or whatever. Effervescent. Uh, and then when she reveals it to Ernest, I thought so much that it was going to be blue instead, to be, like, one of those pointlessly gendered things. So she's like, here's your boy immortality potion. I would have fucking lost it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that she gives away this many potions, and every time it comes in a beautiful Fabergé egg, I was like, that's yep. great. So every time she has a client, she's like, get the egg. Get it ready. And it's inside like an onk box. Yeah. And it's like, we need the dogs, we need the egg, we need the box. It's, Everything it's must lot. be perfect. Yeah. It's Amazing. so funny. You gotta love that attention to detail. That's great. I think it's great. Yeah, so I think those are most of my notes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are all mine. I I have my scariest moment, if you have yours. I have mine as well, yeah. Okay. Do you want to go first? You can go first. Okay. Uh, mine was when she... Like, we already talked about the negative space when she comes back to life. And she pops. Which one? The first time with Madeline. Okay. 
Mine's the second one. <laughs> it's so good. I love Madeline in particular just because yeah. her little, her like arm twitches first and then like her leg and then her head and it was so slow and Ernest mm-hmm. is like, I did it. So it was funny, yep. but it was just like grotesque. It was like wild to see. Um, and I, her head obviously. Uh, yeah. So that was mine. <laughs> Yeah, my scariest moment was when Hell is kind of coming back up. She has been shot through with um, a shotgun. Yeah. And she is now missing a significant portion of her midsection. Ugh. And she falls into like this reflecting pool fountain situation. And uh, uh, Matt is having the time of her life. She is so happy. She's, She's so like, happy. These are the moments that make life worth living. And she's like, oh, of course I'll help you set up the tarp. Of course, of course. And so she's like happy as hell and it's like you know that right. hell is going to rise in the background like, but you don't know when exactly and so i kept being like is it now is it now I, that's how i felt with the other one i was like it's coming but when and mm-hmm. what will she do mm-hmm. is it gonna be quick slow yeah hell's was great i i love both of them like you said with the twinning it's so fun to watch them do things slightly different yeah but also they're the same <laughs> yep i think it'd be so fun to be hell for halloween can we be mad in like, hell for Halloween? Yes, please. Oh my God, that'd be so oh, that'd funny. Oh, that'd be amazing. I'm so excited already. Your partner, We've got time. We've got time to figure it out. Your partner can be Ernest. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Or he could be Liesl. I was going to say your partner could be Liesl or your partner could be Ernest and my partner could be Liesl. Your partner is, is Liesl's way funnier. <laughs> yeah. The diamond situation. Yes, it's perfect. Situation. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a trope, diamonds in the buff. Um, which is, yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. A lot of good tropes. Speaking of, are you ready for tropes? I'm so ready. Okay. So there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I'm sure. I trimmed this list heftily several times over. Yeah. Uh, so we have an armor-piercing question, and then the question that itself, the question that pierced the armor was also a trope, and yeah. it's, and then what? So the armor-piercing question, she's, like, giving her rehearsed, like, immortality, take back your life, like, you gave people youth and now it's been stolen from you. And he's like, oh, I live forever and then what? And she's like, what? Like, she was not ready for him to question, like, the the value behind living forever. And so that was an armor-piercing question. And the question that pierced the armor was, and then what? <laughs> um, next up is anything but that. And it's the moment early on in the film where she's like, I want to talk about Madeline Ashton and everyone just loses it because you know that they've heard about Madeline Ashton for months that was and they are very, very funny about it they look so on edge and ready yep I was like I knew that there were like a few different ways for that scene to play out mm-hmm. and I thought that it was going to be like she's never spoken and right. they're afraid that she's going to someday just like burst with like profanity and like just rage right but no it's be- it's that she always talks she and never she stops. always talks about Madeline Ashton <laughs> Uh, blessed with suck. We talked about that one. Yeah. Uh, blown across the room is when hell is like yeah. going into the fountain. Uh, arson, murder, and jaywalking. So this is when Helen is talking to Ernest. She was a homewrecker. She was a man eater, and she was a bad actress. And <laughs> Madeline hears that, and the trope for her was, "I take offense to that last one." <laughs> Didn't care about the uh, other two at all. Nope. She was like, yeah, okay, man-eater, great. Like, so what? Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, Then we have central theme, and there were several of these. Like, one of them was, like, vanity is sinful, and then one of them was also, like, immortality. And I thought for a while about, like, digging into 
like the um pursuit of immortality as a trope Mm -hmm. but then i felt like that would get too deep for this movie (laughs) and so i wanted to save it because i was like oh is it from like joy of living or fear of death and i was like that's not a question that i'm going to ask goldie hahn and (laughs) meryl streep it's not time it's not time (laughs) it's not time uh creator in joke so the date that um, Helen takes the potion is a date referenced in Back to the Future. Oh, ah, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cue the rain when she is like shamed basically by her boy toy. And then it's like that pathetic immediate. irony of just like immediate thunderstorm. Yeah. Uh, did you get a new haircut? And it's like when she is de-aged like a decade. And he's like, is your hair different? And she's like, oh, <laughs> literally. Huh. Uh, Elvis lives. Love it. Beautiful trope. Love to see it. Finger poke of doom we already talked about. Yep, yep. Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a two-parter of ghostly glide and creepy nuns. The creepy oh, nuns, ghostly glide. Oh, yeah. They, oh, no. They glid. They glid. Did you know that? <laughs> I went with it because I loved it so much. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, they glid ghostily. <laughs> uh, so then we have a Gilligan cut, mm-hmm, uh, which mm-hmm. was, I do not, I had, have no interest in Madeline Ashton marriage. <laughs> and we had ham to ham combat, so that's when they're fighting with shovels yeah. and their large hams of like acting it up and everything. Um, heartbreak and ice cream. That's when Helen is. Oh yeah. Um yeah yeah. Just humiliation conga, which is um mad getting like just knocked down a peg like one time after oh another after another, and then the rain. <laughs> All of those things. <laughs> um, the loins sleep tonight. Uh, this is about uh, erectile dysfunction. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, and that's about Ernest. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, major injury underreaction, uh, where she's like, my neck just, it feels like it's slightly off. And he's like, well, it's dislocated. So. <laughs> that poor doctor. Yeah. Uh, then we have make it look like an accident oh, of them like planning to murder right. Madison, Mad, Madeline. Um, meaningful background event. That's kind of like what we were talking about for scariest moments where yeah. it's like the negative space, the framing of that. Motif of mirrors. Again with mirrors. Again with the mirrors. And I almost broke and did my mirror thing now, but I was like, I don't have time. Save it. Save it. Save it. <laughs> uh and then now you tell me is now a warning because like after she already takes she's like and a warning and she's like now that was so good so good uh then we have the rule of pool two oh, times you know it's gonna be used. yeah you know it has to be scary shiny glasses there's a part where Ernest is oh. like um oh my god like she's dead this just happened and the firelight of like um a fireplace was reflected in his yeah. glasses like all oh, the fires of hell yeah <laughs> great uh sliding scale of undead regeneration Mm. uh and i didn't go too deep into this one but there are like four different kind of like modes on that and it's no healing progressive rotting no healing but no rotting healing but progressive rotting healing and not rotting and that's the ideal one if you have to be undead you want to be healing and not rotting right (laughs) but you don't always get that lucky so no uh, let's see. Staircase tumble. A little uh, tumble. Stalker shrine. Stalling the sip where they, um, <laughs> keeps, like, dose his glass. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, taking you with me where, oh, yeah. uh, at the end, yep. 
she's like, help me. And then she's like, are you just going to stand there? And she's like, I'm pulling you with me. Like, you're coming down, <laughs> too. the finger push. Yup. Uh... Then we had the unfolding plan montage, and that was kind of like subverted. So mm-hmm. you know that moment where someone's like, "And then we'll do this, and then we'll do this." Yeah. And as they're describing, it actually comes true when you realize, like, "Oh, okay, so that was actually it happening in the world, but it was actually an image spot, which right. is more of like um, in a Christmas story when Ralphie is like, "Oh, they're gonna feel so bad. I got soap poisoning. Like whatever oh, he has yeah. his like moment." So you think that it's like, oh, did they actually kill her and like actually get away with it? No, this was just their image spot of them like explaining the plan, but they didn't actually do it yet. Uh, And then who wants to live forever is one of the tropes about like immortality is not all it's cracked up to be, you know. (laughs) And then torso with a view. So it's being able to see (laughs) through someone. Love that. Yeah. So those are all of my tropes. Those are good. Thank y'all. I love those. Um, now we just have to choose a rating scale. And I only had one, but it was it happened so early on in this episode that I'm like, we can't. It was tit lifters. Was it, but I was about to say tit lifter. <laughs> it just it made me laugh really hard. I um, like it a lot. Yeah. Uh we got torso holes, tit lifters, uh-huh. uh-huh. Um mm, mm, diamond bras. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, living Elvis Presley's. Living Elvis I think, Presley's. I think it, it has to be titlifter. It I just, think. it really spoke to us so it early does. on. That was yeah. such a fun fact, too. Yeah. I really like yeah. that. Okay. So, so, how many titlifters? Okay. I think, I think I've got mine. I think I've got mine, too. Yeah. Okay. You ready? One. Yeah. Two. Three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Okay. You go first? Yeah, sure. Um, so I did four and a half. Uh-huh. I think it's hilarious. I think it's really fun. I think it's great that it's like become like a queer film for queer folks to enjoy. That's amazing. Um, and it is well made. Like it's hilarious. I love that it, the special effects in this movie went on to help other movies. I think that's really cool. My mm-hmm. only issue is obviously what we already talked about. I'm not yeah. going to give it five just because I, I find those jokes so tired and so annoying and yep. uh, just hard to watch that it was like I honestly I didn't skip through it but I zoned out during like a yeah. lot of the parts where she's got the fat suit and she's I was just like yeah I just don't care um but luckily this movie moved on from it very quick and it yeah. is still very funny very hilarious and also spooky I mean the body horror in this is genuinely really cool um yes yeah and the one-liners I mean they're they're so funny and so quotable so it's a movie that I think would be fun to watch with people. I would watch this by myself again and still have a good time. Yeah. So yeah, four and a half. Four and a half tit lifters just because I had a fun time. It was good. Nice. That's yeah. an ample amount of lift. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so I give it four tit lifters. Mm-hmm. The things that you reference, like there are a lot of problematic aspects and that's not surprising and that's not unique to this film, mm-hmm. but it does like, you know, yeah. make it harder to enjoy. Um. But it's also just like so over the top, so funny, yeah. visually engaging. Yeah. Like I just, I really, I want to watch it again and I want to watch it like with people. I want to like experience it like fully, you know? Yeah. So I enjoyed it a lot. I give it four tit lifters. So that's a total of eight and a half tit lifters. Yes. yes. That's nice. a good amount. That's a solid amount. Yeah. Yeah. It's just fun. These characters were so funny they were like 
over the top archetypes of like things, but they were just, I don't know, fun. Like I didn't need Ernest to be this super fleshed out character. I understood his personality and I was like, that's yep. great. It can stay that way. And same with Liesl. Like I, I got her, you know, they didn't need to give me this wild backstory on her life or why she does this. I didn't care. She was a perfect character. <laughs> so yep. they were all great. Yeah. Ugh. Truly. Thank you, Patience, for choosing this one. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm glad that they all picked this and didn't even hesitate. Oh, yeah. No hesitation yeah, whatsoever. Just, there's no hesitation, and I love that for them and us. <laughs> and us. Yeah. So that wraps up our discussion of Death Becomes Her. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you enjoyed your time with us, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other folks find us, and we also just love reading what you have to say. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Just Cool With It, and every week we'll post the movie for the week. Hell yeah. You can check our, our extended show notes on a bit of a delay on our website, JustGoolWithItPod.com, or you could even take a look at our Patreon at Patreon.com slash JustGoolWithIt. And again, this was a patron pick. It was. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, we have the Simon Watch coming up this mm-hmm. Sunday. Yep. And the horror game this coming Friday. Yeah. So we've been playing Nancy Drew. We might jump back and forth between oh, games. But... And, yeah, Alien's been really hard. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, Alien Isolation. We've got so damn. many good games. So many games. Okay. So that's patreon.com slash it. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our patrons. Kim, Kelly, Nihar, Will, Rachel, Kelsey, Sula, Tim, Beth, Katie, Morgan, Brady, Kenny, Janice, Brian, Jess, Ada, Dalton, and Andrew. Woohoo! Woo! Absolutely love it. First take. You did it one time and done. <laughs> yep. You know, our patrons are incredible they and it's are. so, so fun in the Discord to like see the memes they share, see their pets, and then like the Simon Watch. It's all super fun. I love our Discord. They're just They're a good. treat. I love when we do Simon Watches. Everyone just oh. we have so many good inside jokes from every Simon Watch. They're so funny. You never know what shark battle you someone's never know. going through. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so Amazing. Good. The intro and outro music was created by Anthony Roccozella, and the cover is by your very own Nikki Solomon. I was going to say, Kate had been dead this whole time, but I've already said that before on another yeah. episode, so... I don't remember when. Oh, it was Sixth Sense, I think. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> it would have had to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another Bruce Willis. He curses me. What is me. it about Bruce Willis that makes me want to pretend to be living? <laughs> I don't know, but we should ask him. <laughs> We should. I wonder if he gets that type of fan mail. All the time. I'm like, like, what yeah. is it? I'm like, I've never. Yeah, what is it about you? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. just, I don't know. He's a good guy. Maybe someday we'll watch Die Hard. <laughs> Maybe I'll just watch Rugrats again instead. I can't. I have to move on. The fact that that's the one. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> She's gone, but you're you're here.